Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. It's like, it's like fall new to kick in a little bit early, didn't it? Um, hey, it's so good to have you with us today here at the Plant Church. Um, here, here's what I want to do. We're starting a new series this morning, but, but before we do that, um, I, I wanted to just take a minute and, and invite you to, to spend a, a couple minutes in prayer with me. It is September 11th. Uh, today, and um, I'm not originally from the New York, New Jersey area, as as many of you are, and when I came to school in this area and then began pastoring in in a few different churches now in this region, uh, I was struck by by how personal this was. I lived on the on the west coast when when 9-11 happened, and and it it was such a a different thing to come and and meet, you know, talk to my wife and people she knew, family members who, who died that day, and uh, the, she grew up in Nyack. The, there's the story of the, the man with the red bandana, right? She, she knew that family uh, and for, because they, they lived in Nyack. And so it's, this day, it, I'm always struck by how profoundly personal it is for people in this region. And, and one of the things that we are called to do as followers of Jesus is to mourn with those who mourn. And this is a day that for, for some people, you know, I can't believe it's been 21 years now, but uh, there will always be some level of, of grief and, and suffering remembering today. So what I want to do is invite us, could, could we just take a moment to be still and silent? And, and I just want to invite you to join me in, in prayer in, in just a moment as we, we remember those who are hurting and, and grieving today. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, do as Jesus promised when he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And for those who are grieving today, Lord, we as the, the church stand with them. Uh, some of them are, are among us, and, and we stand with them, and we, we, we just ask, Lord, that you would make us attentive today and throughout this week as we're given opportunity to maybe meet people who, who lost loved ones, would you just uh, keep us attentive to make some space to hear from them, to hear how they're doing, to hear stories of their lost loved ones, to mourn with them who mourn. Jesus, you, you modeled so well what it looks like to, to suffer and, and teach us how to enter into the pain and the suffering of others. So I just pray, Lord, that we could do that well, and in so doing, make sure that people know that you love them deeply. And so we just pray, Lord, that you would comfort those who mourn on this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, it, when, when we were looking at the calendar months ago, and we are like, kick off Sunday, it's September 11th. Oof. It does feel a little funny sometimes, but but we are uh, as we we are able to hold um, 
suffering and grief, but also uh, the celebration of a new season in tension together. And I think there's space and there can be space for, for both uh, in a healthy way. But as we remember, uh, we're looking forward to a new season. How many of you enjoyed your summer? Did you have a great time? It's so good to see so many of you uh, back. I know many of you have been traveling. I think some are still traveling. I feel I always joke that it's like the false start to the year, September. Like everyone's trying to squeeze a last uh, little bit of summer uh, out of everything. But uh, I hope that you had a great summer. I hope you had a restful time. Uh, I hope that you uh, have been able to reflect and, and grow and, and find space to be with God and with, and with people that are close to you because it's so important. Uh, to have rhythms and seasons of that. But as we start the fall season uh, off and everyone's getting back into their routines, we felt like this would be a great time uh, to just get back to some some basics about uh, remembering who it is we are. Uh, And so we're going to start a new series this morning called DNA, and we're going to do this for the next couple of months. Uh, How many of you have ever looked at those like awkward family photos? Uh, This is like totally a Facebook thing or social media, you know those like awkward family photos and it's like a little too overdone. You guys know what I'm talking about? Some of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, maybe this isn't as widely popular a thing as I think it is. Maybe I have weird hobbies uh, and, and I like looking at these. But but even if you don't look at those, if you've looked at like, you know, wedding photos and, and different people, you see those certain families where it's like they get a big family photo together and you're just like, wow, you can tell they're all related. You know those families where it's just like, man, you guys look like siblings. You can totally tell that's your dad, your mom, all those things. Jillian, my wife, likes to joke when she sees a family that looks like that. She goes, whoa, genetics are real. It's just one of those things where you're like, man, they, each of them have their unique personality, their, their, their own kind of unique things about them. But you can tell what family they're a part of, can't you? And, and when we talk about uh, the DNA of the church, of followers of Jesus, it can be really similar. We're really unique in a lot of ways, and there's a beautiful diversity in the body of Christ. But there are some DNA elements, some kind of core things where anyone uh, can look at people who follow God, the family of God, and can go, whoa, they're related. And so when we talk about DNA, that's what I want you to be thinking of. We're just going to spend the next several weeks to talk about some of the things that we've identified uh, just as a local church, as a, a, the denomination, the movement we're a part of, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Um, we, we just want to talk about some of the things that kind of like identify the genetics of, of who we are as a, a tribe, as a people. And so we're going to just spend some time looking at that, talking about that for the, for the next several weeks, is there's so much individual uniqueness, but at the same time, there's certain things where we go, oh, yeah, you know who they belong to. They, they, we know who they belong to. We know what family they're a part of. So today, I, I want to talk to you about the first part of our DNA, uh, and some of these are DNA of what we would, the core values of our denomination, and some of these are values as a church, and we've kind of brought these together because they're things we, we think define who we are as a tribe, but the first one we want to talk about today is this, and it's that lost people matter to God, and he wants them found. That is the, the first uh, piece of our DNA that I want to talk with you about uh, in this series. Um, this morning as I was preparing for this message, 
uh, my daughter Harper, who was up here on the stage a few minutes ago. Uh, I, I'm just like looking over my notes this morning, and, and uh, she's sitting next to me on the couch, and she's got like a big stuffed animal, and she's asking me a hundred questions. And I'm like, I should have gotten up even earlier than I did because I feel like I need more time. And um, she then at one point she starts asking me, "Can you help me go find my bunny?" Uh, and I'm like. Really don't have time to help you find your bunny right now. She's like, and then she just keeps asking, "Can you help me find my bunny? I really want to have the bunny." And it's like one of those things where you're like, "I know she knows where the bunny is. It's like right there on her shelf with all her other stuffed animals. It's going to take her two seconds to go grab the bunny and come back." And she's already holding one stuffed animal. I'm like, "Do you really need a second one right now? I'm kind of in the middle of something." And she's like, just keeps asking, keeps asking. And and I'm like, I'm trying to focus on getting ready for church here, and I've got my daughter like bugging me about helping her find her bunny. And then suddenly, I have this moment of clarity, and I felt like the Lord was speaking to me. And, and He said, "You know, your attitude right now is kind of the attitude my people have a lot when I'm inviting them to help me find lost people." I'm busy. I got a lot going on right now. And I'm missing out on the joy of helping my daughter find her bunny. And God's like, you know, there's a joy in helping me find those that I love that are lost. And you're kind of missing out. You're kind of missing out. And so we went and we found her bunny. And of course, lo and behold, she knew where it was the whole time. It took about half a second to find it. But, but that thing the Lord said to me stuck with me this morning as I was thinking about this idea that lost people matter to God. He wants them found. And quite honestly, a lot of times I find myself, maybe you find yourself too, uh, getting really busy. And it can be hard to remember that we have this invitation from God to join him in the joy of finding and seeking and spending time with those that are lost and far from him. So I want to read some scripture this morning, and we want to see how Jesus cared for the lost, how he sought out the lost, how much lost people matter to him and how much he wants them found. And, and I, I think this was going to challenge, it's already been challenging me as I've been uh, reading this passage and praying on it and reflecting on it. And I hope it challenges you and invites you into a joy that God has been waiting for you to join in with. So let's read together. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 to 10. If you want to open it, Google search it, follow along in a Bible app. I'll have it up here on the screen as well. Let's read this. It says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. 
won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Let's pray before we continue, shall we? Jesus, would you make us like you? Wherever each of us are on our journey of faith, I I just pray, Lord, today that you would make us like you. Challenge us this morning, invite us into, into the more that you have for us. For those of us that feel like we might be in a little bit of a lost place, I I pray that we would have great hope this morning as we hear how much you want us found and how much you're going out of your way to find us. And we just ask for our eyes to to be open, our, our hearts to receive, our ears to hear what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So when Jesus is talking here, in Luke 15, he, he's been spending time uh, with tax collectors and sinners. People who are uh, notoriously, uh, have notoriously fallen out with uh, the, the religious uh, practices of, of the day. The, they, they were not seen as righteous people. They were, as, as Jesus himself called them, lost um, and I think it's important when we're talking about lost people mattering to God, what does that mean? Who's lost? How do I know if I'm lost? What does it mean to be lost? Um, that might be a little bit offensive. I don't know. Maybe you're thinking, how, how could Jesus uh, put that label on someone? So here, here's the first thing to remember whenever we, we see this and read this. And Jesus talked over and over and over and over again in all four of the Gospels. He talks about the lost and finding the lost. He even says at one point, talking about himself, that I came to seek and save the lost. That was his whole reason for coming. And so when we think about the lost, we have to start here at this point. Every single one of us, it doesn't matter whether we've been in church our whole life or we've been in church five minutes, and we've never been in a church building ever, never thought about God in our life, every single one of us is or has been at one point lost. Every single one of us falls into this category of lost in some way. You might now be found, but there was a time when you were lost. I might now be found, but there was a time when I was lost. And it is possible, we, the story after this is about the prodigal son. And you know it's not just a story about the son who goes away from home and is far from his father. It's also about the son who was close to home and was still far from his father. You could be in the church your entire life and be lost. You could never set foot in a church and be lost. So everyone as has been or is lost at one point or another. So when Jesus is thinking about the lost, this is a very broad group of people called everyone that falls into this category. Just as Jesus found you now, he wants to find others. He is always wanting to find others and they matter to him deeply. It's not a numbers game. He loves them. He wants them found. Now this is the word that Jesus himself used to describe people who were far from God. It's a Greek word, uh, apolemi, and it literally means lost, destroyed, killed. 
It's a pretty intense, tragic word. Someone who's lost, it's not that they're a lost cause. A lot of times I think we think that way. They're a lost cause. That doesn't, it's not what the word means. It, it's something that has been lost, something that's been damaged, something that has had some kind of harm done to it or to them. Those that are lost, Jesus is desperately trying to find, to restore, to redeem, to set free. And Jesus doesn't describe people as lost in order to imply that they are um, pure evil or, or that they are a worthless uh, case or anything like that or that they have no dignity or human value. When Jesus is using the word lost, he's actually trying to assume the best about a person. Think about it this way. When you're on a road trip, you ever go, this is pre-GPS like GPS times. Uh, I remember planning road trips. We went on a lot of road trips as a family, and I remember planning road trips and following atlases. I love maps. And, and so pre-those days, you had to really pay attention to exit sign numbers, didn't you? Because you're watching them like, okay, we're looking for exit three so we can hit that junction. Otherwise, it's like, I don't even know how long this, this is on a map until we can turn around and do the next thing. So you're like, okay, exit 51. And the next exit's us. No one do anything else but pay attention to the exits because we cannot miss our exit, right? But even the best laid plans sometimes go awry. And I, I think I ta- joked a couple weeks ago about New Jersey kind of being like the, the chaos, uh, the, the traffic chaos of the world. There's jug handles. You're doing all of these crazy U-turns. Sometimes your best intentions on your journey, you still get lost. Isn't that true? And so Jesus, when he's talking about the loss, he's not even describing uh, people who have bad intentions. Some people do have really bad intentions, but deep down underneath that, every single person is longing for something, searching for something, desiring something, and they're on a journey that they think is best to find it. It's just that some people, when they go on this journey and they're depending on their own strength, their own wisdom, or any wisdom from the world outside of God, they don't find wholeness and freedom, they get lost. So when Jesus uses this word, he is assuming the best about people's intention. You know, most people, I, I just said this, they, they, they're, that are lost, most people that are lost have really good motives, but they've wandered. They're trying to find meaning and purpose, but they lost their way. But even those who violently oppose God, oppose the church, a lot of times, I have found this, especially in our culture, their opposition isn't to the true God. A lot of times their opposition is more to the hypocrisy of the church or, or their own wounding and pain they've experienced in community and, they, and they're too afraid to, to seek out real healing in that. So even people who might be noisy and, and loud and anti-Jesus, they might be just lost. Their motives might not be as terrible as you think, but they're lost and Jesus wants them found. They're deceived and Jesus wants the, the wool lifted from their eyes, so to speak. He, he doesn't want them to be destroyed, to be lost forever. So I don't know what, what you have heard uh, about God. Some of you, I know your stories. Some of you that are newer, I don't know your stories as well. But I, I want you to know this morning that um, no matter where you've come from, whatever your background is, God cares deeply about you. He wants you found. If you're here today, but you feel like you've been hiding for 20, 30, 40 years, he still wants you found. 
If you've been here 20, 30, 40 seconds, he wants you found. If you've never set foot in a church before, anyone in the community that never wants anything to do with Jesus, he still wants them found. So here's our key question today. If lost people matter to God so much, he wants them found. The question for us today is, do they matter to you? Do lost people matter to you? Do lost people matter to me? Do lost people matter to us? So this morning, I I just want to give us, from, from the text we just read, three diagnostic questions that you can ask yourself to help you discern Do do lost people matter to me as much as they matter to Jesus? Let's find out. So three questions. The first one I want to ask is this. What is your reputation like with the lost? What do you think your reputation's like with the lost? Verses one and two. Look at this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. It's really funny when uh, people, their best uh, way of accusing you of throw, or throwing shade on you is to just state the facts of what you're doing. And, and that's like all that they're really able to do with Jesus. Like he's spending time with them. Jesus isn't even going to argue against that, but what do they mean by that? I can't believe he's hanging out with them, that group of people. Tax collectors in particular uh, were, were some of the most, uh, most divisive people in, in that society and culture. Uh, imagine for a minute, um, I'm going to just use, I guess, a country that would, be, uh, would, would bring this point home almost. Imagine a country like China or some, something suddenly uh, was, uh, dominated the United States militarily, commercially, in every way, and, and basically there was a, a, a tax that we had to pay that was our normal tax as Americans, but then everyone had to pay a tax that was all money going to China. Imagine then, on top of that, that you had um, Americans who offered themselves to be the special IRS office that were going to collect that tax. And then they collect that tax, which is a really heavy, brutal tax. And on top of it, they weren't really honest about what the real number was. And there was usually like an upcharge of anywhere from 4 to 12%. And they're making extra money and just pocketing it off of you. Now imagine if that group of people existed here in, in, in the United States. That's, that's what tax collectors were for the people. Um, they, were, they were Jewish people. They were, they were part of the same ethnic group, uh, cultural group. And, and they had totally uh, lived a life, an exuberant, luxuriant life off of the backs of people who could not afford the tax from Rome. And Jesus was spending time with these people, a rabbi, a teacher of the law, someone who was supposed to be righteous. And he was spending a lot of time with them, eating with them. They probably threw some very big parties. And that's another thing in this culture, probably much more so than mine, to eat with someone is is to mean that you have good relationships with them. You did not eat with someone if you were not on good terms or you did not agree with them or you did not love them. 
And Jesus is, notice this, and there's other stories we could look at. He's eating with the religious leaders. He's eating with the tax collectors. He's eating with the Pharisees. He's eating with the sinners. He's eating with everyone. But the religious leaders are all bent out of shape here because do you know what he's doing? Never mind that they're coming and listening to his teaching. He's eating with them. Jesus had such a profound reputation among lost people that they were going out of their way to listen to Jesus teach. Do you think Jesus was just telling all of them what they want to hear? Do you think he was giving them some kind of inconvenient truths and commands? Because he taught the scriptures. Jesus never uh, said that the Old Testament's done away with. Like he, he held it. He held to it. Do you think that was maybe uncomfortable for some of them to hear? Maybe the passages about extorting your neighbor, he'd be teaching on. And the tax collectors are going, huh, am I doing this wrong? But you see, Jesus had credibility. It wasn't like he was forcing them to hear this message. They were coming to him. What a reputation he had with the lost. There's a word here, it's not in this translation that we read, but when it says he was associating with sinful people, another translation says that he was welcoming sinful people and tax collectors. The the Greek word there, it, it literally means to receive someone favorably. Do you have, maybe you don't think about this or keep a list uh, by your, uh, you know, on your, on your fridge, but maybe you kind of in your, the back of your mind, you kind of have a list of people you receive favorably and a list of people you just don't receive favorably. And they could be people because of what they've done. Uh, it could be people groups, people who act a certain way or do certain things. And you're like, well, these people are on my I don't receive them favorably list. I need to kind of vet them a bit before I let them anywhere near. But Jesus received all of these people favorably. He was associating with them, such sinful people, even eating with them. And it was shaping his reputation in their eyes. Yeah, they were coming to him. They were asking for his wisdom. They were asking him to instruct, to teach. They wanted to hear what he had to say. But at the same time, he's eating with them. isn't Isn't eating with them the same as just giving them a a rubber stamp on anything that they're doing? You ever concerned about that? Like if, well, if if I love this person, they're just gonna think I'm okay with everything they do. Listen, some of you that are married, are you okay with everything your spouse does? Even in like a healthy relationship. My wife and I are not okay with everything the other one does. Does that mean I don't love her? That I don't accept her? Of course not. Our children, they have temper tantrums sometimes. Your siblings might do crazy things. You might not say, oh, that's fine. Keep doing that. But does it change your ability to have a meal with them? To check in on them? I understand some family situations are more complicated than others, but you get my point. Are you receiving lost people favorably like Jesus did or is it conditionally? 
What does it look like for you to spend time with lost people? Do you, what is that reputation like? Do you share your table with the lost? What's your table look like? Do you do uh, hospitality, which is what, what the Bible talks about in the New Testament? Be hospitable, open your home. That word uh, is literally, it's, it's where, um, it, it literally means to, um, to basically host those who are nothing like you. That's different from, a lot of us are really good at entertaining. We like to entertain people. Dinner parties, have my friends over, people that I enjoy. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. That's awesome. I enjoy doing that too. But hospitality is, is something radically powerful and, and supernatural, something that Jesus has to empower you to do. And that's what Jesus did. He was welcoming favorably the lost, those who are far from God spend time with him. Do you know people that are far from God or not? Do you even have a reputation with the lost? Is it a bad reputation? Is it a good reputation? Do they have no clue that you exist? How can you change that? Do you need to just become a regular somewhere? Try and go, if you go grocery shopping the same day, try to go to the same checkout line every day. Have a conversation. Go to the same deli, the same coffee shop. Which neighbors are you intentional about spending time with? This isn't a manipulative thing. They might never come to church at all. That's not the point. The point is, what's your reputation like with the lost? Do you share your table with them? I I love this quote from author Rosaria Butterfield. She says this, in post-Christian communities, which is where we are now, by the way, post-Christian communities, post-Christian world is basically, people are not, their first thought is, I should go to church if I have a problem. They'll go to their therapist. They'll go to their psychic. They'll go to their bar. They'll go to their exercise routine. They'll go to their workplace. Anywhere they can self-medicate or, or self-succeed. But people don't think, I should go to Jesus with this. That's a post-Christian world we're living in. And so she says this, in a post-Christian community, your words can only be as strong as your relationships. Your best weapon is an open door, a set table, a fresh pot of coffee, and a box of Kleenex for the tears that spill. Do you spend enough time with the lost people Do you spend so much time with lost people that all the church people are talking? You know, I'm concerned about so-and-so. They're, they're spending a lot of time with them over there. You know. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you've got to have some wisdom. You've got to be anchored in a Jesus-loving community because you can't just drift away and lose the plot, all of us are susceptible to that. But I'd, I'd bet that there's a lot of opportunity for you and for I to shift our reputation with the lost. And we see that Jesus does that. So first question is, what is your reputation like with the lost? Second, someone help me with my slides, they're not moving. There we go. Nope. Yep. 
I want to be right there. Second, do you inconvenience yourself for the lost? Kind of picking up from where the last point left off. Uh, verses four. Let me read this real quick. You just skip ahead for me. My remote's not working. Verse four. Uh, Jesus is telling this story of the shepherd who loses a sheep and this woman who loses a coin. In verse 4, the the story of the shepherd, he says, Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And then in verse 8, So suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? Do you go out of your way to have relationships with lost people. What does that look like? Do you? Are are you inconveniencing yourself for the lost? Like I didn't want to get up off the couch this morning as I'm trying to go through my notes and inconvenience myself to join Harper in finding her bunny. But she was so happy that I did. The, the shepherd leaves his 99 sheep, probably with some hired hands. He searches high and low. He has no idea where to look for this sheep. He's just going until he finds it. Well, what are you going to do about the other sheep? What happens if something happens to them? This is your livelihood. What happens if then you leave, lose all of the other 99 sheep because you went out to find that one? Is it really like, let's kind of just do like a, a cost analysis here. Like, is this worth it? Jesus doesn't really use our, our modern kind of visions of, of kind of like profit loss and cost benefit kind of scales to determine whether he should chase the one. No, if there's one missing, it needs to be found. A woman sweeps her house, lights a lamp. You know, oil's very expensive. It's a precious commodity. This is kind of implying it's like maybe the middle of the day, maybe it's dim. It's unnecessary at this point to light a lamp, but she is sparing no expense from her own uh, normal economic supply here. She's got to light that lamp, and she's going to keep it lit and keep putting oil in it until she finds that coin. Do you inconvenience yourself for the lost? Do you go out of your way to seek them? Do you organize your life in such a way that you have habits and practices that allow you to be with the lost? One of the, one of the things that I've been very challenged by personally in, in the last four or five years of my life is God has, has been constantly asking me this question. Can I look at my calendar and my bank account and see that I'm a disciple of Jesus. And, and I don't mean by that, like, because I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm being holy with my time or something, or I'm not doing something that's immoral or inappropriate. I, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about, am I orienting those, those resources, my time and my money, and leveraging them in such a way that I'm, I'm being obedient to Jesus? I'm, I'm arranging my calendar in a way where I can naturally normally, and expect to meet people in certain places. We spend a lot of time at a a coffee roaster in the area. We love coffee. I'm a bit bougie and snobby when it comes to that. I'll admit it. I have no shame. But at the same time, we really love the owners of that place. 
and they matter to God, and he wants them found. And it took a long time before we ever had any version of a spiritual conversation. And even when we did, I just kind of sat there and listened. I didn't really even ask any questions. And now they supply all the coffee for the church. We pay for it. They're not giving it to us for free. I'm just, my point's not like we're getting free coffee. Look at how this works. My, my point is, is there's just relationship there. Like I, we personally like made sure we set aside money every month to go get coffee from there just so we can see them. They're, they're part of our natural rhythm. How are we spending time with them? They keep joking that Harper's gonna be the manager of their, their shop one day. Yes, Lord, let that be, please. Um, but you guys know what I'm saying. That's a really simple way and it doesn't take a lot, but are you inconveniencing yourself for the loss? Now, how much am I inconveniencing myself? I'm getting coffee. Um, you can challenge me and push back on that, but you hear what I'm saying. You hear what I'm saying. You all have opportunities right in your own neighborhoods to inconvenience yourself for the lost. You have uh, opportunities in your children's schools to inconvenience yourself for the lost. You have opportunities in your family to inconvenience yourself for the lost. You have opportunities in your workplace to inconvenience yourself for the lost. Will you go out of your way to light the lamp a little longer than you normally do? Or cut back lighting the lamp in some times that you would normally have it lit just so you can light it a little longer so you can find that lost coin. How committed are you to that? Do you inconvenience yourself for the lost? And then finally, what do you celebrate? This is the final question to ask yourself. We ask ourselves, what's your reputation like with the lost? Second, you're asking yourself, do I inconvenience myself for the lost? And then finally, what do you celebrate? Look at verses five to seven and nine to 10. We'll read this. It says, and when he has found it, this is the sheep, the shepherd finding the sheep. When he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I'm thinking, it's just a sheep, dude. That's not how Jesus thinks. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and have strayed away. Think about that for a minute. There is less joy in heaven over what's happening with us all being in church right now than there is for that one person in West Milford who just was found by Jesus. Does that put things in contrast a little bit for you? In perspective for you? I'm not saying everyone, no one be here on Sundays. Because these need to be the kind of places where now those found people need to be. Right? But my, my point is, is what we're doing on Sundays is not the end all be all of what it means to be part of the community of Jesus. Right? There's stuff happening all week. Every day in your life. And it doesn't necessarily involve being in the church building. And then in verse nine and 10, when, when the woman finds the coin, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. 
Can you imagine someone just me calling you all up and saying, can we have a party? I found a quarter that I've been looking for for a week. Now, this was worth a little bit more than that. But you get the idea. Verse 10, in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God angels when even one sinner repents. Here's, here's why I'm asking you the question, what do you celebrate? Think about your week. What do you celebrate? When you think about uh, your, your relationship with God, when you think about your, your vision of Christianity, what is it even in, in that that you celebrate? And the reason I'm asking you this, what you celebrate in your life is this. We celebrate what we truly value. We always celebrate what we truly value. Heaven celebrates lost people repenting. Do you? What is it you are celebrating? What gets you pumped? What has the most effect on your day? Is it lost people being found or not? Heaven values Lost people being found. Do you? Do you celebrate the lost being found? I love this because the shepherd, the woman, they're, they're representing God in, in both of these situations. It, it's God that wants lost people found. And he's looking at you and I and he's saying, I want you to celebrate with me. I want you to experience the joy that is all of heaven finding lost people. Because we've got this family of God This is the whole biblical story in a nutshell. God wanted humans to be near him. Sin fractured the whole thing and people got far away, distorted, confused from God and God's been on a mission to restore all things and make all things new. And so that's why Jesus came to seek and save the lost, to to bring to fullness the moment when, when all the lost people could rally to Jesus. And it's still going on today. And there's such joy in heaven because it's bringing people back to where they're supposed to be, near to God. Whole, restored, renewed. When lost people are found, it's like they become truly human again. They become who they were supposed to be from the very beginning. Both parables end with this. They they end with with this idea. And, And when he finds the sheep. And when she finds the coin. Here's the thing. God is going to find the lost. There's no question about it. It's gonna happen. The lost will be found. The question is, are you and I going to join him in experiencing the joy of them being found? There is a party for every time a lost person is found. You're invited to the party. Are you interested? Do you want to be there? God's inviting you. Are you going to join him? We're going to close. We're going to go into a a time of worship and then then we're going to take communion uh, during worship um, in, in just a moment. 
But as we begin this series on, uh, on DNA, and I, I want you all to know that um, this is not something where uh, we've all arrived yet. This is, this is a, a journey, an ongoing learning process, even for those of us who've been found. But, but I want you to know that there, there is an invitation for, for you today to experience so much more joy than you ever have before. How many of you are just like, it's a dreary kind of day, but how many of you want to experience the joy that Jesus is talking about when lost people get found? What kind of a party do you think is that like? What do you think that's like? You ever just imagine something like that? We don't really know. There's no Bible story written about it other than, other than this. But man, what a party that must be if that's, if that's the thing that really gets people in heaven pumped. If that's what gets God and, and all his hosts excited. Man, what are we missing out on? So I, I, I want to join you to be a part of that. I want to invite you to be a part of that. God's inviting you to be a part of it. As we continue this DNA series, uh, we're, we're going to just keep going and, and learning about different aspects of what this family looks like. Imagine what it would look like if there's this, this family, part of the family hanging out in West Milford, New Jersey, and, and people are like, you guys spend a lot of time with people who are not Christians. What's the deal? Well, it's because they matter to God. And they matter to me. Would you stand with me? Jesus, uh, as we, we worship and take communion in just a couple minutes, I, I ask right now that you would give us a heart for the lost just like Jesus. Spirit, would you give us a heart for the lost just like Jesus has? We might not even have that desire in us, but we just ask that you would change our desires. We give you permission. We say yes to you to change our desires. In Jesus' name. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.